This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. And finally, the fans. I came up with a saying, makes a difference today for someone who is fighting for their tomorrow. When I looked across this arena and when I talked to people and I looked up here, you don't need to be a Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers to make a difference out there. Every single person in this room can be a difference maker. You can be just a normal person who gets up every morning and goes to work, but you can be a difference maker. Put a smile on those faces. My kids, my friends, when they came in to see me, not once did they ever have a frown on their face. So I just urge anybody out there, if you have somebody out there suffering, it doesn't have to be cancer. It could be somebody not having a good day. It could be your mom, your dad. It could be your grandparents. What you say to them and the smile that you have on your face, that can be the difference in them making it the next day. Remember that. Always, always persevere. Like Jimmy B said, never, ever give up. That's the goods right there. That's the goods. So cool. Jim Kelly owned it at the ESPYs last week. He owned it. I love it, man. I love it. Well done, Jimbo. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast. Today is Tuesday, July 24th, 2018. You heard that right. It is Tuesday. It's not Monday. We've made a change here at the podcast. We're going to be dropping shows now on Tuesdays and Fridays instead of Mondays and Thursdays. Lots of reasons for that, and it's going to help put out an even better podcast for you guys, especially during football season, which obviously is something that we're all excited about. I, of course, am your host, Patrick Moran. And you know what? It feels like I just launched this baby last week sometimes, but we've already reached episode 40 with this one today. 40! To celebrate that, coming up on today's show... I've got a huge guest right up there with the biggest and best guests I've had on this podcast to date. I'll be joined by ESPN NFL insider Josina Anderson for a wide-ranging interview today. I love me some Josina Anderson. She's been a friend of me and a friend of this podcast since day one when I launched back in February. I decided now was the right time to reach out to her. And the timing was absolutely perfect. It worked out great. So I have her on today and I'm really excited about that. We talk about everything from her childhood to college and how she nearly ended up going to her arch rival Duke instead of North Carolina. 
We talk about her career path after college, one that took her all the way to Oregon, back to Washington, D.C., and then out to Denver before finally getting the opportunity to work at ESPN. I get her take on a ton of sports media issues. Of course, we talk some football, including her takes on LaShawn McCoy, Josh Allen, Le'Veon Bell, who can, if anyone, can knock off the Patriots in the AFC. Then I straight up put her on the spot when I ask her for a Super Bowl prediction in July. I'll tell you what, at least one of the two teams that she picks is not a team that most, if anyone else is picking right now. It's a great interview. Cannot wait to bring that to you. I do just want to say real quick before getting that started, I'm really enjoying getting to spend some time up here in Buffalo this summer. I've been up here for close to two weeks now, and it's been awesome. The weather's nice. It's so much less humid than Florida this time of year. The wings and the pizza, nothing is better than Buffalo. You never realize that until you leave and you come back. When you have those chicken wings in Buffalo after you haven't lived here for a couple of years, it's even better than you can imagine. Besides that, of course, I've had a chance to catch up with some friends, some guys I haven't seen in a year or two, some people I hadn't seen in almost 20 years. So it's been a lot of fun. It's just been an awesome time. I'm going to be here for a few more weeks, and I'm really looking forward to doing more stuff in Buffalo. Maybe I could get out and record a couple podcasts live in a couple cool spots. We'll see how that works out. But anyway, enough about me and enough about my uh, Buffalo love here. Let's get down to business for today's podcast. Here's my long-form interview with the very talented, the very beautiful, and the far smarter than I will ever be, Josina Anderson from ESPN. All right, folks. My guest today is one of the best and most well-known NFL insiders in the business today. She's also one of the nicest people. Of course, I'm talking about ESPN's Josina Anderson. What's up, Josina? Thanks for doing the podcast today. Yay, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> I'll tell you, well, you know this from day one when I started this podcast in February. I've been in touch with you. I've waited a long time to be able to get you on, and now the timing's finally wait. It's been worth the wait, so I'm really excited to have you on today. Great, great. No, I appreciate that. You've been doing a great job you know, for yourself and getting that going, so kudos to you, Patrick. Thank you so much. Listen, I like to go back all the way to the start with my media guests. Now, you were born in Washington, D.C., correct? What was it like growing up in the vicinity of the nation's capital? Well, I really don't remember too much of it um, because I was really, really young. But it's definitely my roots and it influenced, you know, my upbringing, especially during, you know, my high school years where, you know, I moved out of that area. I mean, D.C. is such a diverse, um, you know, district, obviously. And even in the greater surrounding areas, Maryland, Virginia, um, influenced by the history, the culture, a lot of smart people there, uh, ambitious people there. So I really can't imagine if I had uh, grown up in any other place because I feel like it makes up so much of who I am. I mean, even at uh, an early age, my mom was somewhat of a young activist and protesting against uh, apartheid and, you know, uplifting, you know, South Africa and things like that. And, and, you know, I remember being a a young person making, you know, some speeches as she was kind of, um, you know, just kind of rearing me as well. 
And so I was very conscious at a young age of the impact of one's voice Mm -hmm. um, contributing in the community. Um, So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of what my roots are and and where I come from. Who were a few when you were a young kid, your first few favorite athletes that you can remember growing up? Well, definitely Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the joke about it is, is that even though I'm an NFL insider, what a lot of people don't know is that I was more of a NBA buff and insider long before I was an NFL insider. Um, when NBA games used to come on, it was a p- appointment television for me back then in his era because like, I knew every game that was coming on. I watched an NBA game for four full quarters which is not something that I do now. Right. And I just feel like it's not. I mean, I, I probably I probably turn it on in the fourth quarter and watch it then, even with some of the better matchups. And I really feel like it's a function of how much I feel like the athletes themselves, particularly in the regular season, are into the game and how much they really value the competition and giving their full effort, which is something I feel like I felt like and Michael Jordan's era, you know, Charles Barkley and, and, and back in the day. And, and I used to cover Michael Jordan at the uh, backside of his career when he was uh, a wizard. So when he exited the NBA, my love for it at that level um, kind of, you know, waned at that point as well. Now, you went to high school in Silver Spring, Maryland. I read that you started announcing some games while you were there. Yeah, I was... <laughs> I used to be the uh, basketball uh, play-by-play announcer at a time when I couldn't run track. And even though I was in a communication arts program in my middle school years and high school, by having to be the play-by-play announcer for the basketball team, it really kind of got me into the love of the communications field. And what I used to do was really make it an individual thing every time a player would start uh, and uh, try to check in for a substitution. I would take their name and and make it into something creative that the crowd would uh, you know, identify and say with me every time that player came in. And it, you know me, whatever you can imagine is my personality on TV or whatever you perceive of me. Uh, you know, when you're supposed to be a color commentator, commentator for basketball uh, or just a play-by-play person, I was adding all of that extra during the game as well, more than I probably should have. So <laughs> that's where I just kind of discovered my voice and, and, and love for, okay, this is really where I want to do something like this in this field, you know? That's a pretty young age to, you know, figure out that this is what you wanted to do with your life. You know what I mean? A lot of people, it's not until college or even sometimes after college where they decide, you know, sports journalism or reporting or something like that's a field that they want to pursue. It sounds like, you kind of knew at a pretty young age where your life would ultimately be headed. Am I right with saying that? Yeah, that's very true. Um, I had an idea of what I wanted to do. I would say from high school, I was I was pretty clear. And, you know, what would happen is, is that, you know, my dad uh, played, you know, club soccer uh, for Jamaica. A lot of talk of um, sports would happen around the dinner table at my house and also you know, just in my home period. And there was a lot of intelligent conversation. And, um, you know, it wasn't until, and I know I'm fast forwarding beyond where you are in your chronology of the interview, but it really wasn't until like I started uh, working in DC 
um, that I really realized that a lot of the opinions that even my stepfather was saying at the dinner table was straight lifted from Michael Will. <laughs> so then that's when I started to read like the Washington Post more and Tony Kornheiser is like, oh, this is where he's getting it from. And, oh, let me, you know, read into these opinions even more. And so I really started to fall in love with information and perspective and angle um, in my high school and college years. And so, that, yeah, that's really where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> now, you go to the University of North Carolina for college. I had uh, Jonathan Jones from SI.com on here recently. He's a UNC grad, too. I ask my guests the same question all the time. I need to know this. Why did you decide to go to UNC? UNC and what were a few of the other schools that maybe you considered going to? Well, I'm embarrassed to say this as a Tar Heel, but originally I really wanted to go to Duke. Uh-oh. And <laughs> I got into Duke and, um, you know, it wasn't until my friend was recruited by North Carolina um, as a trackster that then, you know, she kind of also, um, I guess, kind of pointed them my direction too. So we both ended up going on a recruit trip together, although she was the original target. And, um, and this is kind of after I had had, uh, you know, back surgery and was trying to, you know, figure out, you know, how much I was going to be able to run, you know, at a collegiate level too. But suffice it to say, I, I, I visited both campuses and it was very easy after that, because once I went to Duke, I felt like I was attending a church. It had like this, you know, cathedral type feel. And when you go on Carolina's campus, it's so much more relaxed, so much more fun. And you know, even though I, I, I felt at the time it was almost of higher prestige to go to Duke, I felt like at going to North Carolina, I was going to have more of a balanced experience in terms of sports, um, academics, and social. So I'm so proud of my decision yeah. <laughs> after the fact. And you see me on Twitter once March Madness comes, I'm insufferable to anybody who is not a Tar Heel. <laughs> so <laughs> you 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 know I'm a hundred percent you know Tar Heel blue now. I should have mentioned this before. You were a track and field star at UNC. You ran the two hundred and the four hundred. Tell us about that experience. I imagine it takes incredible commitment to run track and field. And also, when did you first become interested in becoming someone you know who ran track and field? Well, I was always the fastest in my school, uh, at least um, among the females, um, starting as early as elementary school and going through high school. So whenever you have field day recess, I want all of that (laughs) Um, obstacle courses, you know, you name it, 50 yard dash. Um, I have mostly blue ribbons uh, that my mom probably still has from those days. So um, not really just carried over into high school and being the fastest on that team. And, um, I mean, I had to change things up a little bit after my back surgery going to Chapel Hill, but, um, you know, the experience of it, it was crazy because there's so many either future Olympians or past Olympians that are associated with that team and Tasha Colander, Crystal Cox, uh, you know, Milton Campbell, I'm trying to think, uh, Tisha Waller used to go to that school, Alan Johnson, even though they were before my era, as well as Marianne Jones was before my era, although, you know, her career didn't end in, in something that, you know, is uh, the most um, honorable way now. But n- nonetheless, these were people that were associated uh, with the program. And so for me to uh, participate in that, it was really a lesson in uh, discipline 
training like what, three, four hours a day, yeah. another hour and a half in the gym, um, that type of competition. I was always a practice warrior, <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, it, it definitely helped to shape me. And then I think during my sophomore year, um, is when I kind of got burned out, of burned out on it. And, and that's where I left and tried out for UNC soccer team, which, you know, is very decorated. <laughs> I think they <laughs> yeah, won yes, like upwards is. of 20 championships. Right. Where they got the, you know, historic coach in Nancy Dorrance. And um, I did that for a semester until I really realized that I wasn't going to be Pele and I came crawling back to <laughs> the track team. So that's kind of what happened. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 <laughs> you graduate so, with a degree in exercise and sports science. And I read you had internships with two of the biggest radio shows in D.C., the the yeah. Tony Tony Kornheiser show and the Donnie Simpson morning show. What was that experience like for you and how much ultimately did do you think that went on to help you with your career later on? Huge. I mean, everything you imagine about Tony Kornheiser on Pardon Interruption is everything he was back then as a radio uh, personality for you know WTM in Rockville. And I never forget, and I tell this story a lot when, um, you know, sometimes I give speeches at colleges or I talk to young people. Uh, one time I came into WTEM and uh, Tony Kornheiser asked me what it, it, it is that I wanted to major in. And I said, um, duh, I'm majoring in communications, journalism. That's why I'm here. I want to do, you know, something in the field of what you're doing. And he said to me, um, you know, you don't need to major. And I'm not trying to discourage all the journalism, uh, you know, majors, you know, students out there. And I say this even when I come to their classes. But this is what he said to me. He said, you don't need to major in it. You know, the most important thing is that you get internships in it and you get practical experience because he said it doesn't take a rocket science to do what we're doing. Right. It's more that you get real time experience and then it might be more beneficial for you to get a degree in something else you like because being in TV or being a journalist sometimes can be like an actor where we're in and out of gigs mm -hmm. and you may need another degree to support you. And that really was, um, you know, foreshadowed my career path because I did end up, you know, changing or, or more focused on uh, exercise sports science as my major. And um, after my first year uh, being an anchor in Oregon, when I quit my job and that's all, uh, another, um, or I left, I should say, and that's another story in and of itself, I ended up being a personal trainer and using that degree for four years while I was personal training by day, supporting myself and then reporting for free in the evening. So that act that it actually did help me <laughs> at that point in my career, everything that he did say, you know, you know, I should have also added this. I keep adding stuff to uh, things you've done when we talk right now, you're an accomplished ballet dancer and you've done mm -hmm. residencies with the dance theater of Harlem and Pennsylvania ballet. I'm reading this right now. You also perform as a soloist for the American youth ballet. How in the world did you ever find time you know, to juggle all this stuff. And also what got you interested in ballet? Because I don't know a lot of people who have done that. Well, it's because I did ballet before I was, you know, concentrating on running. So I was a ballet dancer from, I think pretty much age three to 16. So I did it 13 years. Wow. Um, I was very serious at it. My mom had me doing it about four to five times a week to the chagrin of my father who thought if I had picked up soccer and had been focusing and it's actually, it's kind of a, you know, uh, something that bothers him to this day, because he feels like had I been doing soccer, that I would have been on the USA 
soccer, um, the women's soccer team, um, primarily mm. also because in that, you know, once I did go to soccer for that short stint at UNC, you know, I was, you know, and to be expected because I came from track, I was the fastest on even that team amongst the UNC women's soccer girls. And obviously they were more skilled. I couldn't dribble for my life, <laughs> but it really stood out to him that had I, you know, honed that skill when I was younger, I, I probably would have, you know, been at that level. But yeah, I did it for 13 years. I performed for American Youth Ballet. Um, I did, you know, summer programs that involve the uh, women from the Dance Theater of Harlem and and from other ballets that I can't even remember now. <laughs> uh, uh, Pennsylvania Ballet did their summer residency programs, and um, and uh, and then what happened was is that I really started to pick up track, and it was very hard to do both with my schedule and not cramp in one and also cramp in the other. But I will say that at the time that I did both, and when both overlapped briefly. Um, that I was at my fastest in short sprints at the time. So I always tell these athletes, whether it's football players, whoever, like, yeah. And I think um, Eddie George might have done it in his career at one point, and there's some other athletes who have done it. But the combination of uh, of ballet and track, you know, had me at my best athletically, um, I feel like, in terms of my speed. So I will always, to this day, still recommend that. <laughs> now, you began your TV career, and you mentioned this before, you know, as a sports anchor, reporter at CBS affiliate in Coast Bay, Oregon. I'm going to be honest with you. I had to look it up and find out that that was in Oregon. I didn't know where that was. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever talked to someone who's lived in Oregon in my life. What, what was yeah. Oregon like? Um, well, it was very hard. I mean, um, you know, to leave North Carolina and to go straight to the edge of the West Coast. I yeah. always say who's Bay for me, at least just because of where I come from felt like the last piece of sand on the West coast that you could literally live on. I mean, you have to fly into Portland and then you have to take another small cedar plane to get to Coos Bay. And, oh, wow. and I know one time my dad said to me, you know, when he was riding one of those planes and it looked like there were these black bands around the engine, he would always call them the rubber band planes. He said, so you make me ride this rubber band plane to come get you. So, <laughs> because that's what it looked like. And it was very difficult to be that far away from my family. But, I will say this, that, you know, coming up and doing all those ballet camps and being a Girl Scout um, and doing African wilderness camps like my mom made me do where I had to learn to live in the woods for, you know, two weeks at a time um, and, and, and being an only child for a long time. I, I really did have the mentality to, to make it through that. But um, it was very different. You know, the, the W, I'm trying to I think it's Kate knows KCBY was the name of the station. Um, it was like a barn that was, felt like it was the it felt like it was a converted barn, and you had to kind of run your prompter with your foot like a bicycle pedal, and and um, you know anywhere I went, I felt like I stood out as a African American individual because there wasn't many, so it's almost like oh there yeah. she is in the mall, there she is in the grocery store. <laughs> so it was definitely very hard, but I did have this one couple who um, who basically allowed me to stay in their house and took care of me, so I was very fortunate that way. Um, that I didn't feel alone because they allowed me to stay at the top of their house. And that was kind of my housing situation while I was there. And I was very fortunate to have the um, the Jacobsons, rather, while I was there. Yeah. Now you go back to D.C. about a year later or so. And you mentioned this. You started uh, doing a lot of sports coverage, you know, working with the Skins, the Wizard, the Mystic, among others. And you talked about this. You also, you know, you had to resort to, not resort, I shouldn't say. That's a bad choice of words there. But you mm -hmm. did other things, you know, to support yourself at that time. Was it ever... 
discouraging in terms of, you know, you want to be a sports reporter and, you know, doing other stuff while, you know, before the right opportunity would ultimately come about for you, which obviously, of course, it did. But what kept you going during that time and how difficult was it for you at that time? You know what I mean? To to not necessarily become what you are today. You know what I mean? It obviously wasn't something that happened overnight for you. Well, it was very difficult because, um, you know, what happened at the end of my time in Oregon is I literally woke up one day. I had an epiphany because I had been sending out so many resume tapes <laughs> and I was never getting the job, which was a, a stark contrast from how um, it happened when I got my job leaving college to go to Oregon. It happened very easily. So mm-hmm. I had assumed, oh, everyone loves me. It'll be like that. And no, it wasn't like that. So by the time I got to D.C., you could have never have told me um, that it was going to take me four years to get back to, um, you know, uh, uh, basically working for an affiliate. Right. And what ended up happening is that, you know, I ended up getting a job, like I said, as a personal trainer. And I ended up working at night for shows like uh, Round Ball Report and Sideline Report. And I created that opportunity for myself by being willing to work for free, which is exactly what I did. But what it did for me, Patrick, is in Oregon, I was covering high school sports. And even though it was county cable television that I was working for in D.C., it allowed me to cover bigger teams than I would have ever been covering had I stayed on that same career path. And that had the courage to turn in my two weeks notice in Oregon, give myself my own yes, which is a phrase I use all the time when I'm you know, speaking, and, and have the courage to move where I wanted to move, which is back home in the D.C. market. And although it was for a county cable television station, I ended up covering the Wizards, the um, the Redskins, the Hoyas, the Terrapins. And then I, that's when I started to meet the Michael Wilbons um, mm-hmm. and the Steve Weishes and the John Mitchells and the um, David Aldridges that really shaped my way of thinking. So people ask me now, how is it that you became an insider? Well, that's exactly it, because I started to realize that. They weren't doing the group interviews in the locker room. They would wait for everybody else to leave and they would cultivate these one on one conversations. And then by the time you read the Washington Post the next day or the Washington Times the next day, you would see a whole different perspective from what everyone was saying in a group conversation. And that is really important because that's when it really dawned on me about having inside information. You see what I'm saying? Yes, yeah, definitely. No question about it. It just fascinates me the way. You know, a lot of different people, you know, in sports media, the paths that they have to go on to ultimately get to where they are. It's just so many different paths and it's so different for everyone. Now, I want to talk about ESPN in a minute. Can I say this real quick? Sure, absolutely. Go ahead. You know, just for the young people, anybody who's listening to this, I just want people to know because this is an opportunity also for other you know people who are listening, who are in the same position. I just want to say this real quick. You know, while I was in D.C., um, I was living on my parents' couch for four years. And the reason was, is because by the time I moved back home, I didn't think it was fair to, you know, take my old room back, which my brothers had, my other brother had since moved into. But I lived on a couch for four years. I never thought it would take four years for me to get back to an affiliate. But I just wanted to tell this part of the story real quick, because I think it's really important. Sure. I just wanted to say that that fourth year, I almost thought that I was going to have to leave journalism and start a career in sports psychology. Every year I would go to church, you know, around New Year's and I would say, you know, you know how you go to that church sermon. They say, this is your year. This is your year. It wouldn't happen. And I thought I was being really devoted and and focused and all these other things. And it wasn't coming to fruition. And I just want to say 
that literally, and this is true, that one day I was leaving church and uh, a woman drove up to me in a dark Oldsmobile and she she got out of the car. I have no idea who she is, but this is a true story. This really happened. She comes out of the car and she tells and she tells me, you know, there's people who really, really, very, very, very spiritual. But she told me, God told me to tell you that your job is coming in about six months. She told me that. I promise you that happened. I believe <laughs> and, you. And um, one day I was uh, stretching someone's leg, hamstring, you know, as a personal trainer in D.C. And a call came and it was from the Fox affiliate in Denver, a station that I had uh, that I had tried out for two years before and didn't get the job. And they called me out of nowhere and they said, hey, listen, you know, that person has moved up to sports director. The job you auditioned for is now open. If you want it, you don't have to audition again. It's yours. And that's how I got to Denver, which was the step before ESPN. So just like that, I'm telling you, you know, that's how it happened. It's crazy. It is. You know, and Adam Schefter also made his bones in Denver as well. What, what, like, what's up with high profile insiders in Denver? Is there like something in the air there that creates you guys? Or makes you, uh, well, you know, stars. You know, there is a there is a connection to Denver because you know I was in Denver for uh, a long time. <laughs> Didn't think I was going to be there that long, and then one uh, one day I did actually call uh, Adam Schefter, who who I think at the time, yes, was following following me on Twitter, and you know I was starting to make my name uh, in Denver, obviously as he had done even on a greater um, in a greater way prior to me, obviously. But I called him at the time I was trying to fire my agent. I was very mad about something and um, and I just needed his advice for who to hire as an agent. And he said, you know what? ESPN is getting ready to you know go through a hiring phase. And this was at the time of the lockout was ending. Mm -hmm. And he asked me, what is it that I want? He asked me, what would I want to do? If I worked at ESPN and I said, of course, a little bit of what you do, Rachel Nichols does, you know, I think I can do multiple things. And I think it was like the next day he got back to me and helped me get an audition. And then a few weeks later, I was hired at ESPN. So had I not called, you know, Adam that one day to just reach out for help on something else, I'm not, I don't know, maybe I would have been still hired or, or what have you, but I certainly owe a lot of, uh, my you know, presence here at ESPN to him, obviously the man that has hired me, Seth Markman, and uh, just his mentorship and, and the example that he has set as the nation's top insider too. That's awesome. What were your expectations at the time when you first got hired by ESPN? Well, I tell you what, I certainly wasn't ready for the impact of the travel. That was the hardest thing for me when I first started at ESPN. Um, so that was a big challenge. I think the first two months that I was covering uh, the league on, you know, countdown and things like that. It took about two months just for my body to adjust yeah. um, to the travel. And it wasn't until I think one day I woke up in October and then I really realized, I was like, you know what? I haven't really been breaking a lot of news. Let me get on that. And then I, I feel like the first story that I really broke was that Tebow was going to be the starter. I believe that was ar around October of that year. Obviously that's about seven years ago. So mm -hmm. forgive me for everybody out there that if my memory's a little fuzzy, but, um, but yeah, I believe that was the first story. So it, it really took me a long time to just adjust to constantly being ready after all the travel. And then the other thing is that, you know, when I was in Denver, I was the third person in the sports department. I wasn't number two. I wasn't number one. So, you know, my experience was still somewhat limited and there was a lot of, you know, learning 
um, as I was going along when I was first hired at ESPN. Of course, I had the contacts and the reporting ability and all that other stuff, but there was still a lot that I had to, you know, learn and adjust to and try and, and really grow into my skin and into my potential, which, you know, I'm very thankful that, you know, Seth knew that I had. Um, and in order to, you know, kind of get over the initial challenges that I had when I was there. Well, you've definitely have grown into your potential. That's for sure. What's it like working on a set like, you know, NFL insiders with people like Adam Schefter and Bill Polian and God, I could go on forever. Just working with all those guys on set. What's that like for you? You mean NFL live? Yeah. NFL live. Okay. Um, no, 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 no worries. There was no call NFL insider. So, (laughs) um, well, it's, I think, what I want to say about that, first of all, it's an honor. So that's the first thing. But what I, I think I really want to say about that is that you really have to know your, you know what I'm saying to yeah. be on that set. You could okay? say it on this podcast. Sure. I know. Yeah. What you, mean. <laughs> you really have to know your shit. Yeah. And, um, you, you know, there are other platforms and, and shows anywhere where you can just kind of, you know, just kind of talk and repeat talking points that you've heard or, you know, follow a script or what have you. But to be an insider, one at ESPN, and also two, to be on that show, if you don't know what you're talking about, you know, that will eventually come to light. Um, I remember when I first, you know, got to ESPN, there was a, there was one time they sent me to the, you know, to Indiana. Um, and I had to cover a story about uh, Peyton Manning. I think it was at the time that he was uh, going to retire and something didn't come to fruition for why they had me there. And and all of a sudden they said, Josina, we still need a report from you at six o'clock. And I had never even covered the Colts ever in my career, ever. <laughs> so just imagine them saying, Joe, we need a report from you six o'clock from the Colts. The Colts, no, no player is in town because it's the off season. And at the time, Peyton Manning, the whole thing hadn't come to fruition for how it was going to end up with him and Ursay. So there was no report, no players in town. I'd never covered the Colts. And literally, I had to fall back on a contact that I still know to this day, who basically has access to almost everybody's number. I rarely go to him. I can't even remember the last time I've even called him for a number. But even back then, I knew he had all, you know, had, you know, the access to many numbers. And I called him and I said, boy, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I need some cult numbers like right now because I don't know what I'm going to say. And I don't know no cult people. And he literally gave me some numbers. And I believe I had Reggie Wayne's number. I, I ended up getting Austin Collies and Dan Orlovsky. And I called them and they gave me something to say. And so by the time I did this report at six, I completely, you know, had something to say. And what I'm saying is, even though I didn't have the Colts contacts, I still had the contact, which I call Delta contacts. Delta contacts are contacts that have contacts to a lot of contacts. Mm-hmm. So I still had the Delta contact to be able to get to who I needed to get to. And you, what I'm saying is, is that you could, you can't just be any reporter and, and do this job. You really have to have had those resources cultivated before they even bring you into the fold, let alone sit on the desk in between the likes of an Adam Schefter and a Bill Polian, people who can see right through you if you know what you're talking <laughs> about or not and holds your own shoulder to shoulder as a female who didn't even play the sport and talk confidently between them. That takes a lot. And, you know, that's why I respect any female in this business. 
and I throw my weight behind any, you know, and when I mean my weight in terms of like my, my just, uh, you know, willingness to just, you know, compliment them, you know, you know, just in a big way. That's what I mean by that. Like the Andrea Kramers and, and Pamela Oliver, whoever, all the people who have put in their time and, 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 and know what they're talking about. I respect that because I feel like, uh, I, I strive to be cut from the same cloth. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm really glad that you said that because you've become one of the top sports reporters and insiders in the game now over the past several years. And I'm talking man or woman. I don't care if it's a man or woman. I'm confident, you know, generally speaking, you probably get treated fairly, but I'm sure that you've also had your difficulties as well going through the years, you know, working in an industry that's mostly been dominated by males. I'm sure you've been asked this question many times, so I apologize, but does it still feel to you like women unfairly have more to prove than men in the sports journalism industry, especially when it comes to the higher end jobs? Or is that, you know, society getting better? Do we, how long do we still have to go? How far do we still have to go? Um, I mean, uh, absolutely. There are, are echelons that we still can um, achieve. Um, but you do see that there has been progress made, obviously, uh, with me being ESPN's first NFL insider. You know, they've got Beth Bowens, you know, calling games. Susie Colbert is sure. the host of Monday Countdown. So you see where we have made gains, um, you know, but at the same time, um, have there been, you know, challenges in terms of proving myself? Yes. But I feel like, um, of course, particularly early in my career, but my focus was always this. It was let people see that I know what I'm talking about first. And even beyond that, let me take one step back. It's not even letting them see that I know what I'm talking about. I spent a lot of time listening first before I even say anything. Even when Mike Shanahan was the head coach of the Broncos, I think I spent the first year. I don't even know that I asked a question his first year there, Hmm. um, or excuse me, my first year there, because I needed to really learn what questions he respects and I needed to learn how the room moved. And then once I felt very confident, then it was very hard to shut me up. <laughs> but it took me, but but that's how I move. And even during coaches press conference now, I mean, I ask, you know, questions, but especially when it's a new person or I'm learning a room or whatever, I think it's so important to just listen and take it in. Like Wilbon back in the day when I w- when I was working in DC, he would sit in the back of the room and and I always noticed like as a young journalist, I was so eager to, you know, show I was confident and ask questions. He would sit in the back of the room and he would just I think Doug Collins was the coach of the Wizards at the time. He would just sit back and just listen and would not be pressed to say one thing. And then the next day would have the most amazing article and that still makes an impression to me this day. I can sit there and and hear a Ben McAdoo or hear somebody and not ask one question and still come out the next day and drop a, 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 a bomb of a, of a scoop. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. It's not really about showing, you know, the people in the room that you know all this and all that. It's about hearing what they have to say, you know, moving that around in your brain so you know how you're going to ask questions to other people off of that and then cultivating that later on in the evening and then doing what you have to do. So, I mean, and that's just one aspect of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, clearly I've gone through my challenges as a female, as African-American journalist, all of those things. But I would like to think that all of those things have contributed to, you know, me fortifying my, my spine to have the wherewithal to, to still be here and still have the longevity and still be going. Sure. Now, through the years, you've interviewed hundreds of athletes. Let me ask you this question. 
Who's the toughest athlete that you've ever had to deal with? And I'm not necessarily saying this guy or this woman, you know, is the biggest jerk or the worst person. I'm not saying that at all. Just somebody who's been the most difficult for you to deal with when it comes to interviews or, you know, stories and stuff like that. Do you have one? Well, first of all, I would never say a name um, because that breaks my ethos just as a as an insider. Uh, but, I, you, you know, so because because. What I do as an insider, the, the primary thing I do is not break stories. Right. The primary thing I do is build trust. Sure. And I, and I, and I spend a lot of time just edifying rapports with different people around the league. But I will say this. What I will say to you is that I do feel a shift in our business now. And that is we are, uh, you know, not only in an information shift, um, in terms of how people are consuming it, but also with the hyper focus these athletes have on personal branding and the way that they can also um, get their own voice out, and also just the generational gap where there isn't um, I, I, I sense an eroding of you know that the respect of one's word. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure. And also. Just kind of, I don't want to say the old guard, but really just the traditional way of of doing things. Um, I, I do I do sense that, and I've covered so many great athletes who, if I call them right now and I say I need this, they got they got it. You see what I'm saying? Because yeah. we've built that rapport and we've had that longevity over the course of my career. But I am starting to sense with some of the younger players coming up that that same regard for, you know, building a rapport, um, valuing trust, um, realizing even still in this day and age of Twitter and Instagram, that the role of the journalist is still important and the respect of that, that is starting to erode. And that is a, a concern of mine. And to the point where I do feel like all of us in this game have to really begin to, uh, not only learn how to adapt in, in the, the relationships with the influence of social media, but also in how we bring social media into our own fold and brand ourselves outside of the traditional ways of which we seek and maintain employment. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting a free education right now. It's just because it really is something that I've been, you know, thinking sure. about. And a lot of us, you know, in the business, we've been, at least people I talk to, we've been talking about that and, you know, how things are shifting. And part of staying in this game a long time, and I've been doing this for a long time now, probably longer than I care to, you know, enumerate on, on your program right now. But, you know, it really is having the foresight to see where things are going and how now do I, you know, try to stay in front of that and stay um, on top of it. You know, some of the people that I really admire are people who have been able to, um, you know, just kind of reinvent themselves, not just in journalism, but whether it be in music, you know, whether right. you talk about the Madonnas, the Martha Stewart's, you know, Oprah's people who have constantly that that is really the task of us as journalists as now we're going through this shift in our business. How do we continue to reinvent ourselves and make content relevant because we're competing with the people we're covering? <laughs> yeah, no question about that. You mentioned travel earlier. I would assume that's one of the hardest things about the job. What would you consider one of the most fun parts of your job? 
Well, the fact I, I actually that was it, it's hard in the sense of um, initially it was hard in the sense of my sleep and just adapting to being tired and still performing at a high level. But yeah. I actually love to travel. I love to travel. I like to be in different places. It's invigorating to me. You know, some a lot of people always say, Josina, why are you not hosting? Why are you not hosting? Why are you not angry? You should have your own show. You should do this. Um, and I, I, you know, I would like to do that at some point, but it, you know, it's gotta be something I'm passionate about. It's gotta be something that people are passionate about, you know, me doing as well. And, um, and it, you know, it's got to fix my, it, excuse me, it's got to fit, you know, my lifestyle as well, because, um, uh, there are a lot of different things as you get, you know, older as a woman that, you know, you consider as well. Um, but I, I do like to, to travel. It's not, I'm just not saying something I want to do forever. But I do like to travel and um, I do like meeting new people. I still like the thrill of being in a stadium, um, you know, on, on Sundays. And I like being in the studio and chopping it up with, with the guys. Um, so I think the biggest thing is that even though I am an NFL insider, let me say this very clearly. I do not cap myself at all. I can do multiple things. And I'm interested in multiple things mm-hmm. and nobody can ever tell me different. <laughs> and so that trust and believe that is very much in my heart. But the ultimate thing that I know, which is what I tell young people, is that, you know, people will give you opportunities, but, you know, you are still in control of your destiny. And also, if you believe in a higher power, that higher power still has the ultimate say on anything. So no geographical bound boundaries will limit me. And not a job description either. You know, you have to have that confidence about yourself to continue to forge and be in this business now almost heading, you know, you know, uh, towards what I don't even want. Again, I don't want to enumerate myself, but for a very long time. okay. (laughs) and is that even a word? I don't even want to put a time on myself is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I hear you. Listen, I, I can't have Josina Anderson on my podcast and not talk at least a little bit of current football training camp starting mm-hmm. this week. Big time of year sure. for the NFL, of course. I have to start talking football, of course, with my Buffalo Bills. That's where I'm from. Who knows what, if any involvement, LaShawn McCoy had in this incident that happened in Georgia recently. We may know soon. We may never know. Regardless, you know, as a reporter, a woman, a human, when you see a story like that, how much do you cringe? Well, I mean, I think that goes without saying. Nobody wants to see um, a female suffer any type of physical or emotional or mental abuse. Those pictures are horrific. They're abhorrent. Um, I I couldn't even imagine what it would feel like to have somebody come into the sanctity of my space like that and do something like that to me, let alone you know, in, in, in the face region, wherever it may be, it is wrong. Um, if there's any, you know, thing that comes about this, that has any connection, obviously that is not going to be good. Um, but that being said, you know, we are waiting for the wheels of justice to turn, um, and to hear the complete, you know, story of everything that happens. What stands out to me with the LaShawn McCoy, uh, case right now is how uh, slow it is moving by contrast to what we also experienced this offseason with the Janoris Jenkins story. Mm -hmm. And that was solved in basically 24 hours. Right. And this, by contrast, you know, nobody is is talking. His his lawyers have been pretty tight lipped. Um, I should when I say nobody, I mean, on on his side, we haven't heard much since the Instagram post. Right. Um, 
and uh, the police haven't really been, you know, updating us with things that they have, you know, found out. So it's kind of like this quiet and it, and it almost is ominous for Buffalo, I feel like, because, you know, it's just like, is this sh- big shoe going to drop <laughs> in the middle of like us trying to, you know, cover training camps and then you hear this or is this big uh, opposite headline that maybe many are anticipating going to come out that, you know, is going to say something different from uh, what a lot of people might think it might be. So I, I don't know. And I can't say that I have, well, I should say this. I mean, I heard a lot about, you know, the situation off the record and I heard, you know, a, a, a lot about, you know, certain things that, uh, you know, again, are not for, you know, public, you know, reporting because people were just giving me their perspective behind the scenes. And I certainly don't have a new update from a police standpoint as we speak on this podcast. Sure. But I am going to uh, wait to see, you know, where it goes. Um, There's so much promise in Buffalo with you guys getting a new young quarterback and wanting things to go the right way after making the playoffs last year. So I really um, I'm sure all of your fans are really hoping that, you know, something like this doesn't put a, a negative, you know, stain that ends up permeating the locker room and really um, impacting how the season goes for you all this year. Sure. And more, first and foremost, more than anything, I just hope that the truth comes out, whatever side that may fall on and however it may be. I just hope the truth oh, comes out. Absolutely the truth. Yeah. You definitely want, you know, everything that is exactly as it happened to to, you know, come out and, um, you know, because sometimes there have been stories where, you know, people have jumped to conclusions and then it ends differently, right. whether it be Ruben Foster, what have you. So you just gotta, gotta wait and, and see, um, just to hear everything, but certainly those photos are what they are as of right now. Um, and you know, there is nothing to take away from them. All right, let's keep it a little bit lighter with the Bills. You touched on this a minute ago. You were pretty locked in, you know, this offseason on the quarterback draft draft prospects. Were you a little bit surprised that the Bills took Josh Allen over Josh Rosen after moving up with Tampa to get that seventh overall pick? Well, I certainly understand, you know, what they are enamored with when it comes to Josh Allen. I mean, he has the prototypical size. He has the big arm. Uh, certainly the completion percentage is, you know, at the time that, that he was in college is not anything to write home about. I know I spoke to his college coach during the draft process. And I also spoke, you know, to Josh, who, you know, really talked about the difference in the weapons that he had the second year, which kept that, you know, um, completion percentage low and around, you know, kind of the you know high 50s in the second year as well. So uh, when you look at him and you see him throw that strong, I can see how it would be very easy to gravitate towards him. Um, also, on the other side with Josh Rosen, I can see how, you know, some of the talk about, you know, personality, if you if you were to get caught up in that, maybe that was a deterrent or not. But, you know, for Josh, I, I would say this, you know, Rosen, I, would say, I, I had an opportunity to speak to him uh, before and after the draft, and I found him to be very honest. Um, Actually, after the draft, you know, he was one of the few quarterbacks that, you know, still kind of kept in touch with me without me having to try to prod agents and things like that. Um, And I really appreciated his honesty and kind of telling me, hey, look, you know, they're not going to allow me to speak, you know, and do this interview, but would still, you know, talk to me in other ways. And um, it was very honest about how much it hurt him that people thought, um, 
you know, negatively of him at, at times when he was, you know, in college or, you know, whatever negative aspersions have been on his personality. And he could have easily not knowing me when I asked him about, hey, why do people think you have an attitude problem? He could have easily have gotten an attitude with me, you know, in responding back, especially on the spot, you know, combine interviews and things like that. And instead, um, he made an impression on me by, you know, by saying things like, you know what, you know, that stuff, you know, honestly does bother me. And here's why. And instead of like internalizing it, just having an honest conversation about it. So that to me showed me how thoughtful he is in a lot of ways. Mentally, he does remind me of Aaron Rodgers. Um, and it'll be very interesting for me to see how his career path kind of materializes there in Arizona. Moving on past the Bills, I need to ask you this. Why do you think the Le'Veon Bell-Pittsburgh thing has played out the way it has? I mean, the guy's quite possibly the best running back in the NFL. And he has been for at least a few years why won't the Steelers do whatever it takes to lock this guy up for a very long time? Well, one thing, you know, Pittsburgh have traditionally have a way of doing contracts that is very hard to surmount. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that is just, you know, a part of the equation and is what it is. The second factor of what I think is a big factor and why it didn't materialize the way he would like is not something that I'm prepared to say publicly. But I do think that there is a, a, <laughs> another component that has impacted the way that that has gone. And then thirdly, I would say that um, one of the things that I have said on uh, NFL Live is this, and I think it applies when it, when it comes to doing NFL contracts. I think it applies when people are, any employee is being, you know, getting hired by an employer, or we all are in the times when we're facing getting raises and things like that. And this is kind of like an overall overarching point that I have. Just because a company or NFL team, you know, during a negotiation has leverage over you, and I'm saying this about everything, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do to exercise it. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Because if an employee or in this case here, as we're talking about, you know, an NFL player, um, i.e. Le'Veon Bell, has done what they have done for you in terms of their production, in terms of the how multifaceted they are and how they contribute to the offense, yeah. then reward that. Yeah. Then reward that. There's no, then reward that. There is nothing wrong with rewarding that. Just because you're concerned about setting precedent in a certain way or just because you have the ability to, you know, limit uh, the longevity of a contract because of, you know, the franchise tag rules or, or things like that, it doesn't mean that that is always that is the right thing to do. And I and I believe that, you know, when you sow into people, OK, who have done right by you, it only builds good energy back onto your company and you and, 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 and the person that, you know, are the people that you're negotiating with. Right. Right. It's kind of like a kind of a circle of, you know, kind of karma and good energy. And so. You know, if if there's a decline or a decrease in production, or you know, that person has had issues um, in certain ways that are really, really, really made it like you know made made you hesitant and giving them the contract. I understand, but when the person is done right by the company, when the person is done right by the team, when the person has produced, when that person has worked hard, reward them, and then you know, don't be surprised when 
you're in a game, it's a fourth quarter, it's two minutes to go, and you need that one ball to bounce the right way, well, maybe that it, it'll just happen to go that way because you did the right thing. That's what I'm talking about. And, and so it's very interesting even now to see what's going to happen with Julio Jones, who's going to make ten and a half, you know, million this year. And even though he signed the contract and I get all that, but the reality is, is that, you know, his salary right now is six million below what a lot of athletes are, are you know, making right. on average this year. And so as we even turn the dial with Odell Beckham Jr. and some of these contracts, you know, it's really something to consider for these athletes moving forward in terms of the longevity of the deals that they sign so that two and three years into the deal, you know, it really becomes more of a discussion as to how much the money that they're making is off market value. I hear you. Well, if it's not Pittsburgh and someone's paying him next offseason because Le'Veon Bell's talent is just off the charts ridiculous. Hopefully, but it's not a guarantee. Got got to still stay healthy. Things still have to go right on and off the uh, field. That's why, you know, when people say, oh, Joe, you know, you, you advocate for this, advocate for that. No, it, it really isn't about, oh, advocating for a player side. That's not really it. It really is about, you know, just advocating, you know, you know, rewarding good work. That's what that that's what it is <laughs> for anybody. And, and I say that because I believe that for our industry, for myself, for anybody. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. I'm from Buffalo. So obviously I hate the Patriots who in the AFC has the best (laughs) chance to knock them off this year. AFC East. Anyone? Um, No, no, no one's got a chance to knock them out of the AFC East. That's not happening. I'm talking about who in the AFC, who could stop them from going to the Super Bowl in the AFC this year? Who's got the best chance to beat them? Oh gosh. Um, exactly. (laughs) Well, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm literally pulling up the teams in front of me so I can see it right now um, of the teams that I'm looking at. Gosh, um, I don't know. I, I really like, I, I don't be surprised, but I really like Denver. I, I believe, you know, I, you know, I like the defense on Denver. Um, I say, I think case Keenum took a big step last year. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes, you know, one thing that I watch for, sometimes I watch for, you know, if people have been doing things the right way or if they've been done wrong, um, because I, I try to evaluate intrinsic motivation in players. And that was really wrong to me what happened to Case in the stand up. I understand every team has the ability to upgrade and move on. And, and so, and, and I really respect the Minnesota Vikings organization and their PR staff and all that other stuff, right? But, and just in terms of the individual um, case with Case Keenum, I mean, Boy, you know, he, he to me, he really did a lot and accomplished a lot last year. And it would have been really nice to see him, you know, be able to have the opportunity to build on that. And that, that says nothing against, you know, Kirk Cousins and things like that. I'm just talking about Case in and of himself. You know, now both men have the opportunity now to be in their respective new places and and, and grow. And, and we'll all see by the end of the season how, you know, each uh, player situation evolves, but I think that will end up being a big uh, motivation for uh, Case, just because he was the quarterback of the team that did, you know, go a stone's throw from the Super Bowl right. in that team. So I would have to say to answer your question in a very long way, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Denver Broncos, um, and obviously would not be surprised about. Uh, Houston and Jacksonville, you know, right. 
Would not be surprised those two. Yeah. One more sport, one more NFL question. Then we're going to wrap this up with the little mini lightning round. All right, so sure. we're getting ready to start training camp now around the league. Let me be the first, or if not the first, one of the first to ask you a question. You'll probably be asked about a thousand times, and I'm sure you'll talk about it on ESPN soon enough. I want you to give me your late July, entirely way too early Super Bowl prediction, which I'm sure could change many times. But as of right now today, got to be put on the spot. Give me a Super Bowl prediction. Six months from now, I want to replay this podcast. Who's and say, winning or what team? Give me the two teams that'll be in it. And if you want to pick the winner, go ahead too. Um, Lord. Ah. All right. Well, let me look at this depth chart right now as a, or yeah, hold on. I would say for the NFC, for the <laughs> NFC, uh, I'm, I'm going to pick the Vikings right now. Okay. And then in the AFC, I am going to pick for now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good Lord. Uh, I, as of right now, I am going to pick the Denver Broncos. I do think that Case Keenum's experience, what happened to him last year and how it did not go well for him in that NFC championship game is really valuable experience. Coupled that with the defense that has Von Miller, Chris Harris, you added, uh, you know, Chubb there in, in the draft as well. They still got the offensive weapons and Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas. Um, they they have, you know, the makings to do that. And of course, you know, listen, come back to me after the halfway point in the NFL season so I can modify things. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you right now, if Denver goes to the Super Bowl, I promise you any life advice, anything, I'm going to be DMing you for the most <laughs> mundane little things. I know of- all the Houston Texans fans and the Jaguars <laughs> fans, maybe even, you know, Baltimore, you know, they all going to come for me, you know, whatever. But listen, that that's what I'm thinking right now. Um, and, 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 and it's July. The Philadelphia Eagles, you know, uh, because, you know, I still think that they'll be in there. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. All right. We're going to end like I do with every guest with a little mini lightning round. Just going to ask you a handful of human interest, random questions. Nothing too serious here. Not a lot of deep thought required either. You know, whatever you think of, that's your answer. Cool? hmm All right. What's your favorite non-sports related activity to do currently? My favorite non-sports related activity to do is uh, <laughs> um, God, I would say it's so hard because so much of me is wrapped up in things that are sports. Yeah. So, um, but I, I don't know. I, I right now I would have to say working out and meditating. You okay. know, because those things I really in my where I am in life right now, I try to do things that you know, maintain my equilibrium, <laughs> you know, life can be a, you know, what sure. many times. And, and, um, I'm very much into that right now. So, so I would say those things right now. Okay. This answer would be easy, but I got to make it a little bit harder for you. Who's your favorite athlete that you've covered? I can't let you say Michael Jordan, cause I know you covered him there to tail end. So I'm not going to let you have Michael besides mm-hmm. him. Who's your favorite athlete that you've covered? Um, Favorite. I mean, I've got a lot of people I respect. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
but I would say at least who is, you know, currently playing in the NFL, I would have to say right now. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. For me, it's a cross between Richard Sherman and Odell. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, Odell is so electric and I I think he's done so much to, you know, evolve himself. Um, And I I think, you know, that is even more of that's going to be evident um, you know, this season and Richard Sherman, because I mean, when I talked to him, especially when I did that interview with him last year, uh, he's so smart. Like Richard Sherman is right. so smart. And it's, it, it's very rare that I sit down. I shouldn't say it's rare, but I mean, it was, it, it makes such an impression on me when you sit down and you have the opportunity to really have, you know, a no limit conversation with him. I mean, you see his brain moving, you see how sharp he is, you see how strategic he is, you see how he's even contemplated things that you might have asked that you that he thinks that you'll ask him even before you've talked to him to be ready for that. So I, I have so much respect for his brain, <laughs> um, almost kind of like a Doug Baldwin, too, same way. So uh, I enjoy people who mentally are are sharp and are physically really gifted or just very you know, off the wall and, um, and, and how they go about, you know, their life kind of like a Marshawn Lynch. So I know I just answered multiple names when I was supposed to say one, but that's, that's really, you know, the people that like that, that I enjoy covering. I'll <laughs> accept a few. And if you think that's hard, this one might even be harder. Cause I'm, now that I'm asking this, I just realized, you know, a lot of the people I have on the show, they haven't been to a lot of cities, but you've traveled so many places. What's your favorite city to visit? Oh, what's my favorite city to visit? Well, I have to say that the, you know, the, my favorite stadium to go to is still AT&T and still, you know, um, Seattle stadium. I, I, I like, I like that experience when I'm there, um, from a stadium standpoint. And I think, you know what, it's actually kind of bougie because as a reporter, you know, you have your, your, your cities that you like to go to in terms of, you know, the best hotel experience, then it's the best stadium experience True. and it's the best city experience. So all of those things kind of impact what I think of my time there while I'm actually covering, which is why I initially thought about the stadium first. But I, I like I like going to uh, Seattle. Uh, I'm trying to think of city wise if there's any other that 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 comes to me. I, li- I like I like visiting Seattle. I, li- I like the Northwest air. You know, I, I like I like um, the experience of, of of the how how loud it gets there. So I, I like that experience. Okay, name a TV show that when you actually have time to that you really enjoy watching. Oh, this is that's easy. That's probably the easiest one you ask me. Uh, Master Chef. <laughs> I, I I I'm a big devoted fan of you know anything Gordon Ramsay. I love cooking shows. And also uh, the four on Fox. That's my show. It used to be this. It used to be Scandal, but now that's off air. So uh, those the, those singing competitions and the cooking competitions, I really, really, really like. And one day I hope to be a guest judge on one of those shows, or or, or so you think you can dance as a former dancer. Shows like that. Okay. Second last question here. If Twitter were to send you a note and say. You know, dear Miss Jelzina, you're only allowed to follow one person on Twitter now and one person only. Who would that one person be? Adam Schefter. 
I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> that would be mine too. I'm just joking. Because I'm a I'm a big football, you know, donkey, and he's the one with the information. So I would follow Adam Schefter because I would want to know what's going on in football. I le- you see the thing about it is I legitimately like the sport. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be following it even if it wasn't my job. So, you know, that's the first thing that comes to my mind, you know. I have other ones if you would ask, and it wasn't it wouldn't just be one, but that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Last question here. Three dinner guests from any era, dead or alive. It could be from any point of time. And I'm, this is not an easy question, I admit that. But who do you got? Three people. Uh I would say dead or alive. Yep. Number one, Jesus. Number two, Oprah. Number three, and, you know, this is just being truthful. Um, I'm not trying to make any statement with it, but, you know, you asked me, um, it would be Barack Obama. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right. Josina Anderson, everybody. You can follow Josina on Twitter at Josina Anderson. Again, thank you so much for your time. It was a great honor to have you on this podcast. This is a lot of fun. And like I said earlier, in some ways, I also feel like I got an education today, and I'm sure a lot of fans, a lot of sports media fans out there listening are going to feel the same. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, that's a wrap for that interview and also today's podcast. One more time, a huge thank you to Josina Anderson, quite possibly my favorite guest on the show so far. Really appreciate her and appreciate her time. Thanks again, Josina. Coming up on Friday's show, it'll be a stroll down memory lane for Buffalo Bills fans. I'll be joined by former Bills wide receiver and one of the most popular players during their Super Bowl years. Don Beebe will be my guest on this podcast on Friday. If you haven't done so already, I really encourage you, really encourage you to go to iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. It's very quick, it's very easy, it's very free. You just click that subscribe button and then voila, new episodes automatically get sent to your phone or to your laptop. You don't need to have access to iTunes if you don't. You can also catch us on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, pretty much anywhere where future award-winning podcasts are heard. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. I'll talk to you guys again on Friday. Have a good rest of the week. Peace out.